Welcome to the Don't Die Podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. All right, here we are. You're not going to believe this. It's another episode of Don't Die, but this time, instead of Chuck, it's Mike. It's Mike Mark. Bob and Mike have been together since 1985. Don't know what I'm going to say because I'm not a specialist in addiction. <laughs> you are. I'm only a specialist in, in using, taking the drugs. Using. That's using half of it. Dr- That's half of it. <laughs> You're an expert at half Ex- of the problem. Many years, Studying. And Mike and I used to have a band called Thelonious Monster, and this is a song he wrote. Is that how it goes? <laughs> I wrote the music to that. Okay. You wrote the. I know, I wrote, the, I wrote all the words of Thelonious Monster. Yes, you did. So, but. Here's here's why I wanted to have Mike and I. Yeah, I'm surprising you because I said, "Come over on Saturday. Let's do a, a podcast." Yes. The podcast is about sobriety, and you were talking about it the other day. How me and Anthony, when we were sober, came over to your house. You were not sober, and it was just love, just love and compassion and and service and whatever. And all we did was we were eating at Millie's probably or some restaurant near your house, and we thought, "Let's go." See what Mike wanted if he's still alive up there. <laughs> oh my God! Silver Lake back in the day, yeah. I lived next door to Cuffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh uh, yeah, the and bondage. So, and so gay bar. So yeah, it must have been Millie's was open. Yeah, we probably ate at Millie's, and then and then there was that AA, that clubhouse on Griffith Park Boulevard. Yes, and then we just thought. I wonder if Mike, if Mike Mart's over there smoking crack with the tinfoil on oh his window. And I was. I had just finished when you guys knocked. <laughs> so, but I really want to retrace, because you are, I'm, I'm trying to think of the sober, you're the longest sober person of all of our group of friends, by far. No, you're, no, no. You're 25 years sober, aren't you? Yeah, but Johnny Two Bags. and Yeah, but he wasn't in our circle. He was in your circle and Long Beach Dope Circle. Well, how could that be? Because oh, because everybody went out. Smog was yeah. Smog went out. Uh, Anthony went out, and you guys went out after you came back over to my house, and 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 then and then somehow I got sober and yeah. Oh no, a, uh, Susie, Susie G. Oh, she's still yeah. And so, but the idea is there was all this. So I want to get into all all these people without really talking about yes. it. But there, some of them. I mean, I, I, I know the modern-day drug addicts because I deal with 40 or 50 of them every day. They're nowhere near the drug addicts of the 1980s. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yet, we're all still alive, and they're dying. It's so puzzling to me. So I wanted you to explain who taught you how to survive being a drug addict. Well, when I sit in the 12 steps, that you know, you know and a young person comes in, and they're and they're like doing years. this thing. I'm amazed. I'm just like you know, and I, I don't know how to tell them. Like you know, man, there's so much more using out there for you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't. If want, just, I don't you, want to say that. <laughs> but that in my heart, that's exactly what I'm saying. Because it would just like you were saying in the last episode that the older you get the harder it is to to maintain yeah you know, there's got to be a breaking point and and just because your mom's mad at you is not a breaking point but right. so there's similarities between this generation and that generation but they they didn't have something that our generation of addicts had which was 
tenacity and perseverance and nobody having our back. So when I grouped together with you guys, with Thelonious and the Chili Peppers and Fishbone, we had nobody having our back. There was nobody going to bail us out of trouble. You know what I mean? Your dad wasn't. No. No, no, I didn't have any family. You know, no, none of us had this, oh, it's going to be all right. All I have to do is call my mom. That was not amongst our circle of friends. So you had to survive. No, it wasn't as prevalent. My When I went to my brother and told him, like, finally I told my brother, because my dad wasn't around. He, he oh, was he a, knew you were a drug addict. He, uh, it was pretty uh, obvious. I yeah, I don't know. How could he not? Well, I wasn't around my older brother a lot. Oh, okay. He couldn't read a newspaper? <laughs> he didn't follow me, let's say. And my dad was pretty much tough luck kid, you know. Yeah. You'll, you'll get through it. <laughs> But when I told my brother, he said, well, you have two choices. You can either stop or uh, just stop coming around. <laughs> that's, that's what these parents need to say. You can either I, stop or stop coming my around. My brother said, I laid it all on the line. And he said, yeah. And how old were you then? I was, you know, 27 or something. Yeah, yeah. So that's when I started breaking down 27. Yeah. 27 is the age that musicians used to die at. Right. Remember? And that's the, that, then our generation of musicians, that was the music, the age that you started to get sober at. Right. And I'm, I'm serious. Because yeah. if you look at the ages of people that, I was 27 when I went to my first rehab. You were 27 when you finally turned to your family for comfort and support. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe 27 is a magic number. We got to get these kids to 27. And they're either going to, break free and be sober or they're going to perish yeah right oh gosh and i just don't want these kids dying before they get the chance to thrive that's no, my and, main and thing everybody we've talked to is kind of amazed at the at the you know the velocity that kids are dying at it's you know, crazy. And the volume because and it has to it correlates with the pharmaceutical companies prescribing everybody because in the you know in the day you had to really really know where to get drugs know where to get the pharmaceutical stuff and the doctors like there was a doctor in, in san pedro that that used to um what's his mention his name, mention his name. he's dr. probably dead now dr shannon yes and he was and he you would go to his house his house he, yeah in pedro and you would write you a prescription in his office and he, and i one time i asked him i said you know you're giving drugs to drug and he goes well it's better than getting them off the street isn't it <laughs> you know and he goes it's more dangerous for kids and that was his philosophy that's and the philosophy sort of made, now you know i don't know but it, the backlash has been you know that kids are dying of course well and the, everybody is prescribing but back then it was a new concept everybody there was how, dr mark up here did you go to that guy with steve yeah yeah dr howard mark i love yeah. that guy he put Valium in a brown paper bag for you. Yeah. And then you'd pay him money. <laughs> yeah, you'd of course. pay him like, you know. This whole thing is about money. But, but so here's an interesting thing. That so many people died from Oxycontin. That's why Obama and the federal government shut off the, the sprinkler system of Oxycontin, right? If people hadn't died, it'd still be legal and people would still be high out of their minds, right? Yeah. The heroin epidemic wouldn't have happened. 
because they'd just all still be on Oxycontin and they'd be on 80s and 120 milligram Oxycontins and they'd be getting them at Walgreens. But Obama, because the death rate started skyrocketing, they turned the faucet off of, of Oxycontin. It's really hard to get. I just watched it in a hospital the other day. My father-in-law was in the hospital. They're releasing him to home because he had his shoulder replaced, right? And and uh, so they're they, replacing it with fentanyl, though, right? No, they still oxycontin. He was going to get oxycontin, but to the process you have to go through to get thirty oxy, twenty milligram oxycontins is like. I expected police officers to come in the hospital room. Oh, my God. You know what I mean? Because it's so highly regulated. So that made it almost impossible to distribute the amount of Oxycontin that was demanded. So then that that population migrated to heroin. Fentanyl, fentanyl is still hard to get. You know what I mean? Unless it's illicit. Unless it's just not through a prescription in a pharmacy. They're just getting it illegally. There's a lot of illegal fentanyl coming from China. Huh? Okay. So, no, don't touch the mic. Mike Mart. If you would have known Mike Mart in 1985, he had no place to live. I said, how can you have a band with records out no place to live? That kind of puzzled me. Yeah. <laughs> you were like, well, I don't know if I even want to do that anymore. Oh, you were going to quit music in 1980s, whenever you yeah. joined Thelonious, 86, 85, 86. You were going to quit. Texas and the Horses was always on the verge of not being a band anymore, wasn't exactly. it? <laughs> and so I was like, this guy that's partners with Jeffrey Lee Pierce and makes records that are awesome doesn't have a place to live. I don't know if music is a good thing to get into. Yeah. <laughs> I was sleeping in that that uh, van that I had that Volkswagen yeah. van that was I painted it with paint that you paint the inside of dinghies with Zolotone. Really? Rough, that rough man. <laughs> yeah, sleeping out for a disgrace land. Yes. Yeah. And so and you it just cause what you, happened to that van is I is is I went on tour and uh, I said well fuck this van's gonna get towed so I parked it sideways in the middle of the street and got in the tour van the tour van and took off. To get it towed away? Yeah, it was just right square in the middle of the street, <laughs> sideways, a Volkswagen. <laughs> Got to get it out of there. Then you yeah, have the figured, ambulance. Well, you know, then you have the ambulance. Yes, the ambulance that we picked up on tour, yes. And then you had a motorcycle that you went on Phony's Monster Tour riding a motorcycle the whole yeah. tour. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Smoking crack and shooting heroin and riding a motorcycle across the United States. Yeah. And it was a cop motorcycle, too, right? It was a, yeah, it was an old Kawasaki 1000. Where did you get it from? Well, some, we met some kid on tour. Oh, did you buy it on tour? Because I was drunk on tour. I don't know really what happened. I just know that you showed up, you had a motorcycle. Well, we were on tour, and... Thelonious the, or Texan no, Horse? Texan Horse. Oh. And, and, and this kid showed up at a show in North Carolina, and he was a skinny little kid named Benji, and he was tiny, and he had bones and all this <laughs> things <laughs> hanging all over him, and he was riding this motorcycle, and we said, well, come along with us. And so he, he went from North Carolina, uh, and we all took turns driving that motorcycle. I bought his motorcycle. And he became a roadie or something. And he, yeah, he jumped in the in the in the trailer with us. Our first tour, <laughs> and we brought him all the way back to California with the motorcycle. Let's go into the history and of texting he the horseheads because I really on my roof. He lived on my roof in Long Beach. Really? Yeah. But I want to know 
Because Jeffrey started texting the Horseheads, correct or he not did, correct? Yes. No, he did. And were you in it? No. Um, Rock, uh, Rock, Rock, brother. How, so did Rock John. know Jeffrey? Yes. How? The mountain man and I'm the not and the, sure. no, the mountain he, man he and the hadn't quite mountain man out. <laughs> the mountain then. man was, and the prince of West Hollywood yeah. to form a band together. Where the hell did they meet? Anyways, I think it was somehow the who's who was down in Santa Monica, and they met somewhere down there. Rock and you know the lodge guys and all everything lived down. The there. lodge existed in 1983. Oh yeah, oh yeah, man. Uh, so so they met uh, down there and. Um, they did that flexi disc for Take It magazine. Oh, in really? Like eighty-two. And who was the band? Jeffrey Rock and John who else? Thumb, who's never actually his brother, John Thumb. Oh, the, the Rock's br- brother. Brother was the bass player on that Tex on that flexi disc. And Tex was Jeffrey's girlfriend. And Tex was Jeffrey's girlfriend at the time. Yes. And the Gun Club had made the second record by then, the Las Vegas one. Yeah, and he had a little interim. He was off tour, and he started this band for Tex. And he named it, or Keith named it? Because Keith Tex, named the Gun Club. Tex named the Gun the she Tex did? and the Horseheads, yeah. Wow. And I think. Mm. Jeffrey's always had a musician girlfriend, hasn't he? He's always had the ones that look exactly like Tex. Yeah, yeah. And then, well, he's passed yeah. away now. I never think of him as dead. I think of Rob Graves as dead. I don't know why, because I was closer to Rob, but I never, I never think of Jeffrey as dead, because he might pop up at our show in England. Like, I remember yeah. we were sound-checking. Jeffrey just came with his Stratocaster with no case and said, I'm going to play guitar with you guys tonight, and then I want to sing a couple of songs. And we were like, sure. Do you live here? <laughs> and... <laughs> And that's a good point. A lot of these, you know, these dead musicians that we, are, you know, that we've known are friends, basically. You know, they died accidentally. They didn't yeah, commit yeah. suicide. No, Jeffrey there died. Like, there's this whole thing, I think, since Kurt Cobain, the Kurt Cobain suicide, there's been this whole, like, oh, it's just okay to kill yourself. No, it's not. <laughs> you know, that's, the, I mean... Uh, is there, Jeffrey, Jeffrey was just sick from liver disease, and then yeah. he was getting better, then he was sick again, and that went on for years. I, I kind of, you know, I was... Well, Keith and I went down to the hospital in Marino, and, talked to, right? yeah, and talked to him and tried to get him to get a, uh, you know, go, quit drinking and go in and get a liver transplant and get on this list and do the whole thing and he pretty much responded to it but then right there as soon as we were done he started he just kind of lapsed back into this i know more than the doctors do and you know they've been trying to tell me <laughs> i'm gonna go years. to vietnam they've been telling yeah remember he was and gonna go sudden, to vietnam all of a sudden all of our talking had just gone away yeah and it was like jeffrey was back to we just looked at each other me and keith and went what happened? still i don't think anybody's made as good an album as that fire of love I don't know how he made that record. He was amazing. Genius. Think of that. Kid from El Monte. Mom runs a beauty parlor. And he makes a record like that? How the fuck is that? And singing in dissident tones that at first, when you first hear (laughs) Jeffrey, Jeffrey, you're like, what is wrong with that? Is he on Reds? or Is he on on Downers or what? Can he not tell that he's not singing? But then somehow it all makes sense when you 
start from the lyrics are just because so he does great. it the same every single time if you want to hear a genius get the album gun club fire of love every song in there is a masterpiece lyrically musically spiritually and so that's why this is why things like that are why i wanted to be around drug addicts i was 20 years old i was like i want to be around drug addicts if drug addicts make music like that i want only drug addicts for friends that's it, truthfully, because I lived in Orange County. There was no drug addicts down there in Huntington Beach, but me. <laughs> right. Like Roach and those guys lived in downtown Huntington. You got to understand, there's two Huntington Beaches. There's the real Dogtown, downtown, Surf City, whatever. There's only, it's only like five blocks. And all the, you know, the uppity people that live in Huntington Beach don't go there. And their kids right. don't go to school down there. If you're if you're in the Huntington Beach High School school district, you lie and say you're in a different school district so you can go to Marina, so your kids don't have to go with those kids to, in downtown Huntington. Right. So the when Huntington I, that borders <laughs> Westminster, <laughs> yeah, is sort of the, <laughs> that's where. Well, Huntington Harbor. That's where my first girlfriend lived, or at least back and then. and. And like Heil, Springdale and Heil, Golden West College, that's where all the, that's where I lived. I didn't live in the dog town, weird, cool Huntington Beach. Right. And so, so there was no drug addict. I was the only one who really snorted coke, right? Me and my girlfriend, I got tried to get Luis Garcia to do it. And he was like, I don't know. You know, people were scared of it. <laughs> scared of coke. Imagine a time in America, in a major metropolitan city, where kids in 17, 18 years old were scared of snorting cocaine. That America oh doesn't God. exist anymore. They say everything's the same. That's different. Kids were scared of drugs. They're not scared of drugs anymore. Right? No. So, Jeffrey, so then how did you become the guitar player of, of Texan the Horse well, well, Jeffrey had to go out on tour, so... Um I knew Rock from uh, Rick L. Rick. I was in Rick L. Rick with Rock. Oh, really? Yeah. I just got back Rock from vodka. the Meat House. Did yeah, you yeah, played yeah. that song. We were in, yeah, but we didn't record with him. We were just his band. Who was for the bass? a short period? Who was of time. the bass player? Uh, can't remember. I can't remember. <laughs> no, I can't. So, but did Rick? Oh, L. Mark Mark Swinston. Oh, okay. Yeah. And you played like Flippers Roller Biggie Palace and stuff like that? Yeah, we played uh, this place. We played a bunch of shows. Posh Boy the, shows? The Starwood and um, and the Whiskey. And then we played uh, this one show at the Seventh Vale. It was a strip club yeah, across from Hollywood, Hollywood High. Yeah, they Hollywood had like a Bowl. couple of shows. And yeah. That, 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 that people don't understand before and it's funny you mentioned nirvana before nirvana punk rock and underground music was a whole different thing post nirvana it's like mythology but chili peppers used to play strip joints because you could you know during that kit kat club on santa monica boulevard chili peppers used to play there it was the only place you could play strip joints yeah. weird clubs you know the what i mean plant out in the valley yeah <laughs> the plant I remember that place. Yeah, I remember. So so it became an FM station, right? Yes. <laughs> so so you get in Texas and the Horseheads, then you he, did how come Jeffrey didn't produce the first Texas and the Horseheads album? Uh I you know, Tex was real um adamant about making it her band. You know what I mean? She didn't want to fly under the wing of Jeffrey. 
I wouldn't mind. I would have. I would have flown under his wing. I would have loved to fly under from one of the great geniuses in American songwriting. Well, what? yeah, they were falling out a little bit, you know, and so that's that's what happened. But uh, but you brought more because when I finally heard the record, it just sounded not like Gun Club, more like. I don't know what I want to. I've always wanted to know this from me. We never talk. We were we, high together. Then we got sober and we talk about sobriety and kids. We never talk about music that much. I always thought you liked Deep Purple for some reason. Do you? I do love Deep Purple. <laughs> so, so when I heard Texas and the Horseheads, I thought this guy likes Deep Purple. But I, don't know I could why. never play like you know like Richie Blackmore. <laughs> There's no way. So. Uh, but I what opted, were your favorite bands? Like? I opted to. We opted to take like uh, the music that we loved and fuse it with the music that we knew how to play, which was punk rock. <laughs> but we loved listening to you know Hank Williams and yeah, yeah, and and country and western and stuff. So we just went, well, fuck it, we'll just play like country and western, like punk rock or something, you know. But you don't. But when you're playing those, because let's face it, the Texan Lordset songs and the Gun Club songs. Tempo-wise, chord structure-wise, they're not much different, but they sound so different because you have a different style. It's like Jeffrey and and Ward, I just don't think really knew how to play guitar that good, so they were just slushing all over the place. You know, I have and to say that, 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 that Jeffrey had this style of bringing it down, you know, bringing it down yeah. and bringing this whole, like, thing down to this level of, like... Jabone you know, eat and yeah, talk. Yeah, all this kind of thing, you know. And Jabone eat like a knife and folk. Into punk rock, and nobody else was really doing that. You know, there was no other punk rock bands that were bringing it down and getting all. Like, I know, but it's you know, because he didn't all know like James Brownish. It, isn't it you know? that he didn't know that many chords and you just take it down on that one chord? Yeah, but he invented that. <laughs> I got the. You know what I mean? And and think about it, Nirvana, loud, fat, or loud, loud, loud quiet, soft, loud, yeah. quiet. Everybody adopted that, and Jeffrey was the one that that coined. Well, it. the Pixies really adopted it. I wonder before, if I wonder before if Frank, the Gun Club. No, no. after. No. There's nothing before the Gun Club. Gun Club's like 1980. No, you take yeah. punk rock, you blue, you know, you blues it up, break it down soul wise. So let's go through that whole that whole world. So I just felt like you were a real, you know, because I was a music fan, and I'm listening to these bands and watching these bands, and I'm thinking, then I'm kind of embarrassed that I like. Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin and Kiss and whatever. You can't, you couldn't present in 1980, 81, 82, 83 as you liked that music, right? Not in the punk rock scene, right? But I sensed who liked that music and who didn't, right? It was obvious that that X didn't like that kind of music. You know what I mean? That they didn't like Deep Purple. It was obvious right. that Billy, Billy Zoom had never tried to play Smoke on the Water ever in his life. But then there came along new guitar players like you that definitely had tried to play Smoke on the Water. I call that Jimmy Page damage. Jimmy, you know, Jimmy Page, like, like, I loved Led Zeppelin when I, was, when I was growing up. But my brother thought that Led Zeppelin played out of time and couldn't control their time. And I was like, no, they, I tried to explain it to him because he's an old jazz guy. You know, so so they they play out of time on purpose, and he's like, no, 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 they're just terrible. Down, 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 down. Yeah, exactly. Down, like, down, 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 down. So, and then Jimmy Page also has this guitar style that is just really erratic. 
It's like Jimmy Page damage. Yeah. So that so there's certain guitar players that have that, and then certain you know, and if you and and once I got involved in music in like '83 at the Cathay or '82, you could tell who like liked Elvis Presley and that rockabilly and 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 that kind of country western thing and who really grew up like an american kid like me with led zeppelin and kiss and you could really tell the difference yeah right, right? Yeah, and i think and i always felt more comfortable with people that came from where i came from because i mean i like elvis presley but i don't i you know i don't know what to think of james burton i mean i like it but it's not like jimmy page no. and see to dave alvin james burton is jimmy page to me and you, Jimmy Page is Jimmy Page. Right. You understand what I'm saying? And it was all amalgamating, all just just kind of mixing all a together. Mi- a mishmash. Yeah, it's a mishmash. Every, and what, everything that we and then, heard, just we threw in the pot. And, and then what was everybody doing who was mishmashing all the genres? Drugs. Drugs were a major part of that music thing. It was. Um, when half the people are dead of drugs, you know, Darby's dead. You know, yeah. when you look at the original punk rockers in L.A. and New York, it's not a pretty picture. Not a lot of them make it to 50. No. You know what I mean? And so I just always think there was people searching for something and people trying to run away from their past and embrace a future. And it, and they all met and it just went in a blender and it just came out and invented a new culture, a new cultural landscape. Right. Yeah. We need that now. We need that now in America. That leads me to this question of where are all the fucked up bands? I know. We need it now. (laughs) So you're saying that these bands... We need these bands on drugs. We need chaos. (laughs) Yes, we need chaos, urgency. What are the ingredients of what happened in 1977 to 1983? Chaos, urgency, fear. And then if you can get lucky enough to make it past 30... (laughs) You have a chance of getting sober <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and living. No, but so, but what did we all have at the Cathay de Grand or or at Raji's? We had, but we had a passion for life, for being cool. Yeah. That's another thing. Like, you know what I mean? To be well, in that club. I remember being outside of that. We club. had a passion for Budweiser. <laughs> We had a passion for Budweiser. I really do think these you know, kids don't appreciate alcohol enough. <laughs> we had a passion for Budweiser. Budweiser. And, and uh, yeah, Budweiser and Black Beauties. And, and Black Beauties. You know, some nights you don't want to get so fucked up. You just want to have a good time. They're yeah, not, I, this generation's cheap, not man. having a good time. That was the cheap. That was the cheapest thing you could do, man. Good time. Buy some Black Beauties or some um, cross tops. And buy a six and pack just, of beer. Yeah, and you're just good drink to go. Your ass off and take a bunch of speed. <laughs> You're good to go. Crappy speed. You can have a really fun time. Yeah, stay up for days. We had, did you see the Lullianda Tweakers, the band that Anthony and Felina and I had? No. We played two shows, I think. One, we were opening for Blood on the Saddle at the Cafe de Grand, and we decided that we were, because we were on speed, we were like crazy on speed. And I was the guitar player, so you know how good it was. Flea was the drummer. Flea was the drummer, and Anthony was the bass player singer. It was kind of supposed to be like Rush. <laughs> but no, we 
<laughs> and it was called the Lolienda Tweakers because we lived in the Lolienda building. That was the Lolienda apartments, right? Oh so, my god! And we had worked on this gig with my, uh, Michael Brennan, like we're gonna play, and we thought it would. I really thought it was my my kind of pathway to success. Well, like I'm in a band with two of those guys in the Red Hot Chili Peppers. This is good for me. It's gonna be a side project of the Chili Peppers, and we wrote real songs. Well, because they must have seemed like they could play to you. Yeah. <laughs> You compared to me, you couldn't boil. I could make some noise. I used I used Chris Hansen's Yamaha amp. Oh my god! And so, so we had this band, and we had written a song. One was called Prince of Sadness. I still Anthony knows the verses. The chorus was Oh Prince of Sadness, and then Anthony would sing I'm the Prince of Sadness. <laughs> it was good. And then we had every time I go uptown, I end up jamming around. It was kind of like a funky ditty. <laughs> oh my god so we decided Great. and we get to the gig and we're all excited and we get to the gig and our name Lolienda Tweakers is in really small like typeset on that on that marquee in front of the cafe and blood on the saddle takes up the whole thing oh. with the big letters <laughs> and Flea is just like our name needs to be bigger up there and so we went and got the ladder out of the out of the back <laughs> walkway and we got the ladder and put it up and we were changing <laughs> Changing our name to be bigger or equal and making Blood in the Saddle smaller. Oh, my God. And Greg from Blood in the Saddle was so pissed. And we're oh like, it's an equal billing. It's an equal. It's a co-bill. Remember when you would worry whether yeah. it was a co-bill? Co-bill. It's a co-bill. Yeah. You're just playing last. You're not headlining. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that was drugs and passion and wanting to have some fun and fuck shit up. That's what's needed. That's yeah. what's needed. Because I look, I study this stuff back and forth. Kids need passion. They need a purpose. They need to feel like, I don't know, anger or fuck this or something. They don't there's, really have that. There's a scene uh, down in Long Beach. Because, you know, I worked down in Long yeah. Beach at Alex's. And um, I get to see, like, some of these young bands. And... There are some really good there's young good, bands good that bands. Are, have that passion. You know, there's there's a personal the pizzas, man. Those guys are amazingly good. And then there's a Meow Twins, the quarter but, stretches. But let's daughter. get into what's going on in those scenes. So there is scenes. There used to be one here in L.A. at the Smell, right? Yeah. But it's such a politically correct scene that you it, it's like fascism. It's not like what was going on in the 80s where do whatever you want. Fuck you. Right? There's this political political correctness. Did you see the thing with Leonard from the Dickies? Yes. I so did. Leonard from the Dickies, just so you know, old, old friend of mine, has been doing the same shtick for 35 fucking years. Yeah. Same shtick. So some people on this warp tour decided, some people, politically correct people, decided that it was misogynist and they didn't like it. So well, here's my advice to them. Don't fucking go see the Dickies. Yeah, well, Problem solved. You, you become fascism when you want the Dickies to not be the Dickies. That is fascism. And I don't care what what T-shirt you wear. When you're going to then protest and try to usurp and try to get people not to like the Dickies because you don't like the Dickies, that's fascism. Fuck them. And they call it democracy. It's not. If you don't like the Dickies, don't go. And if enough people agree with you, the Dickies will either change or fold. 
Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And that's that was the thing of because listen, nobody was yeah. going around saying the Chili Peppers are misogynist in 1983, though right. there was a lot of kind of marginal stuff about women in their songs. Sure. There wasn't a protest against them from their brothers and sisters in the scene. Now there is. So now you got to worry about what you say. You know what I'm saying? So I think it, somebody's got to stand up to that and tell those people protesting, no, fuck you. Yeah. Fuck you, you fascist fucks. That's what I think, really. And I want kids fascist to rise up. Fascist would have been a better word than the C word that he called her. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> yeah, you can't. I know. I mean, what? he went off. He's and Leonard. He's Leonard. He's, Leonard. He's not you know, that. You know, there's some brain cells that have gotten harmed along the way. <laughs> well, and us older cats, we don't really realize that the C word has become an unusable, you know, I mean, really. The N word, the C word, yeah, all this I mean, crap. You know, it was a mistake. By it Leonard was a, to to do that, but so uh, guess fascist would have been a great word. Yeah, it's fascist. You know, like you don't like it, don't watch it. Uh, you don't calling like it. somebody an ugly fascist wouldn't have been bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wouldn't. But eventually, someday, the way things are going, fascist will be the f word. You can't or, use or, the or f it'll word. Be the u word instead of ugly. <laughs> Yeah, you can't use the U word. Can't use the U word. <laughs> so you know when a society starts censoring words and start, and this is coming from the left and the liberals. When you can't say certain words, when you can't think certain things, that's a slippery slope, right? Yeah. And so I think that's what lo- led to the rise of Trump, right? I really believe that hmm. it's a misguided reaction to being told what to think and what word you can use to say something or what you know if you don't like the way people do things don't be around them i don't i don't like 90 percent of the people in the world that's why i live here in claremont <laughs> yeah people turn their backs when other people are getting beat up they take films of it why can't they just turn their back when people say, say things they, yeah they, they ignore physical violence and want to jail or execute verbal uh, uh commentary yeah. It's the strangest thing in the world. So, you know, and so I was I was so happy Kevin Lyman, who's an old friend of ours from yeah. the, that time, he owns the Warp Tour and he issued the statement with that, the actual facts, yeah. right? Neutral. He thought what Leonard said was bad, so did I. I thought it was I thought it and was he apologized. It, I thought it was Leonard, you know, he He's got a shtick, kind of like Joey Ramone. You just do your shtick. You just do your thing. Right. He's not really, shouldn't be ad-libbing. <laughs> <laughs> There's a great point. <laughs> that was an that ad-lib. That is a great point. The C word was an ad-lib. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, so yeah, I don't agree with that. I don't like that. But, in fact, the people who wanted the Dickies to whoever were protesting the Dickies, right? They went through social media say they're they got the Dickies kicked off the tour. In fact, Kevin straightened that out. That was the last date of the Dickies being on the warp tour. Right. See, and this he is, just basically made a statement that they're not playing anymore. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, they're not playing anymore anyways. The people who don't like the Dickies then ran with that on social media empowered that they got the Dickies kicked off the tour. Oh, that's right. That was not true. Yes. So now they're lying. They're not only fascists, but they're liars. Who else is a fascist and a liar, Mike, oh, lately? I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, really, I see some of your posts on hmm. Facebook. There is someone else that lies and is kind of a fascist. It's not okay. that intelligent black gentleman. <laughs> no, it's not it's the not. guy that you were talking about last night. 
That was such a great thing. I just want to tell you, country Mike Mart. If you can follow Mike Mart on Facebook, he comes uh, just randomly. It'll come in my phone. And last night he posted this thing. That what, say what you posted. It was so well, so what? cool. The, the 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 sophisticated or whatever. Oh, I just posted that I liked the the black gentleman that ran the country last year. <laughs> nice way of putting it right yeah, it is it, and let, let's be honest i the the black, i'm trying the, to stay away from the african-american i think is the politically correct or is that not politically I, the, the african-american gentleman who ran the country last year who was phenomenal also you made some mistakes black? i think it's a b word now. <laughs> oh no 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 really i'm a white so. guy <laughs> no, you're a caucasian are we just supposed to not say anything <laughs> not, about it? <laughs> it's getting crazy. And so it's compare up, 2017 man. to 1983. Because what happened in 1983 is, needs, is what needs to happen now. And what because we were the generation that got sober. Unfortunately, the generation before us, the Darby crashes of the world, did not. They yeah. perished, the Robs and, and Jeffries. Yeah. And yeah. They perished. But our generation was this weird middle generation that would live through all that, had a passion for music and life. And, you know, I, I always knew I wanted to have a life like this, the one I live now, even then. I want to live in the country. I just want to have a nice house where I can play music and a bunch of kids. And you know what I mean? Yeah, right. And, and it was actually inspired by music. Hank Jr. has a song, I live back in the woods, you see, the woman and the kids and the dogs and me. You ever heard that? Country boy can't survive. This yeah. is my version of it. 35 years later, right? Yes. So we were a generation, like when you look at the survivors of 83, me, you, Flea, Anthony, uh, John, just like, name it, Smog. Yeah. Everybody survived. Yeah, it's f it's fascinating to me. We were kind of a, a the next generation after punk rock, and we're all survived to tell the tale, you know. And and all across the country, none of the, you know Paul Westerberg or B Bob Mould or Henry or or Greg Ginn is still crazy as a loon right yeah. the meat puppets chris kirkwood is still fucking rocking. i know that's great you know what i mean that generation was the surviving generation something about us needs to be analyzed to see like why did they survive because everybody thought i was gonna die everybody yeah except me <laughs> you understand yeah, and it's not politics because Reagan was president. I know Reagan was president. And we were like, oh, he's, we're this all going to die. This is the end of the world. Yeah, we thought the end of the world. We're all going to die in a bomb. Young blast. people need to remember because I think a lot of the people that listen to the podcast are parents of millennials and want info and stuff like that. So they're younger than us, the people that listen to this. But they got to understand that when Reagan got elected, I really believed there was going to be nuclear war and I was going to die. I oh, truly yeah. believed it oh, for sure. I wrote a song about it called The World is Ending. Kapap Incorporated with well, Chris Hansen. The funeral did Waiting for the Bomb Blast. That was an there 80, were many songs in, 19, in the early 1980s that were all going to die because of Reagan and Brezhnev, right? And Pol Pot and all that crazy. <laughs> we're all yeah. going to die. And, you know, somehow none of us died. Right. It's a fascinating thing to me. And I try to convey it. A lot of kids that latch on to, I tell them, you should form a band. And they go, I don't know how to play an instrument. I've always wanted to play music. I go, you don't need to know how to play music to form a band. I formed a band. I didn't know how to play music. <laughs> you can do it. Right? And they kind of look puzzled. 
you know that like no just form a band just get a four guys here and say you're a band there's something about the communal way that you live in a band right that's very it, i always say listen i've been married three times i'm not married right now right right i'm still partners with pete weiss till the day i die <laughs> do you understand what pete. i'm saying yeah it does a band bond is 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 heavier than marriage right it truly is it is it, it for is. sure there's a there's a, a degree it's almost like being in the trenches you know we were in the trenches like it was a war you know because i mean really talk about did you you know you were talking about your place here and how you know we have kids yeah we have lives we have children, right? Did you think that would ever happen when we were walking down the road into New Mexico? In New Mexico and you were tweaked out looking because Chris Hansen <laughs> forgot <laughs> forgot to put a spare tire in the in the van, and we were on the way to our second show in El Paso. And we were walking, and then we got to that. Bar. We had to walk four miles along the side of the road until it was dark, and then we saw a Budweiser sign. We did on the side a, of the road, and it was a rail car that had been turned into a bar. And the lady behind the rail bar had her hand underneath the bar the entire time. With a down gun. At the end, with a gun. hand on a shotgun. <laughs> we were the only ones that walked in there when we got, oh my God, you're like an oasis. <laughs> we were just like we were so praising her and the and what you know, let's get we so everybody sat on the side of the road while me and Bob got drunk. <laughs> no, but I, I really believe back then because Anthony and Flea were out ahead of us. So I thought whatever's happening to them is gonna happen to us. Right? right. They were like two years ahead. So I thought, oh, they have the ability to buy a car, right? They have money. They have, they're, they're playing music, and we're just behind them. And whatever happens to them is going to happen to us. And so in a couple of years, I'm going to be able to have my own nice house. That's really how I thought. You were always in another world kind of quitting all the time. You were yeah. always quitting. I was never going to quit. Yeah. I had the whole one day at a time concept down <laughs> way, way early, <laughs> way early. Like when going on tour with Mike Mart was, was never like, tomorrow. You would have like thirty-eight shows lined up, and you would think like, how many? After a couple of tours with you, uh, we would, me and Pete and people would joke like, how many of those thirty shows is Mike going to show up for? And usually you would think, like, if somebody goes does the first 10 and then they quit, they're not going to do the last 20. No, you would quit after 10, and then gig 20, you would show up somewhere in, like, Cincinnati, Ohio. <laughs> this and is how far ahead. be back on. This is how far ahead I thought, okay? <laughs> I, we were in Boston on the farthest point in the United States you can get from Los Angeles. They're corner to corner. It's yeah, like yeah. 3,500 fucking miles. And I got in a fight with somebody, and I got out at a stop. I picked my guitar up, and I got out at the stoplight, and I said, get, go. I quit. <laughs> and Chris Hansen standing in the wheel well, the light's turning green. He's going, get back in. What are you doing? What are you, you can't just, we can't just leave you here. <laughs> where did you go? You know you how go? he talked? Well, yeah, where did you we go? We can't just leave you here. You've got to get back in. Where did he was you all go? Rational. Yeah. Yeah. like, no. no it was, so the light went through about three or four cycles <laughs> Of Chris trying to talk me into getting back in the bread truck. And you just quit? Bread truck. Yeah. I said, no, get out of here. And so you guys drove off. See ya. <laughs> you didn't give me any money? Standing there with my guitar going, oh, man, what the fuck did I just do? <laughs> 
I ended up calling a friend and staying at her house for a couple of weeks, and then I took a train down and met Ann, Ann and Agnella, at, and there Agnella you go, baby. in uh, New York and stayed in her storefront until yeah. it got so cold in New York. I was like, oh, fuck this, man. I got to go home. here, man. Yeah. That's crazy. So the reason why I wanted to have this show, and I appreciate Mike talking about it, I wanted to show you taking drugs in our lives was fun. I, I hate to be like some counselor that people look up to and get nervous when I say things. All I'm reporting is the truth. The I'm always re reporting the truth. And the fact is, the kids I meet these days never had fun like that. Never did stuff like that. They've been on pills since they were 13, 14, 15. They don't have much life experience. They've never been to Boston. It's... It's a different generation, and we need to somehow get them active and engaged in life, even if it's in using life. There's a large group that are like that. There's a small group that are, like you said, politically, you know, correct, yeah, and, yeah, they, yeah. and they just get drunk and they have. I'm a good just time. talking about the ones in the rehabs. The ones in the rehabs and stuff. Yes, we need course, to get them out passionate about life. I say it sometimes. I walk in and they're all sitting there bored, and they look like they hate being there, and they got their hoodies on, and they're just sitting there waiting for me to run the group. And I go, you know what would be the greatest thing right now? and they're looking at me and I said if you all just walked out of here and got an Uber car to the airport and just flew to Costa Rica right. it would be the greatest thing you could ever do and they look at me like this old fucking hippie punk rock dude is crazy. Uh, and I'm telling nice the man. truth. Yeah. I wish they would just get up and say, fuck you. Get out and live fuck life you. without drugs. <laughs> yeah, without drugs. fucking go to Costa Rica. You know? Well, the reason I use Costa Rica or Brazil, there's no heroin in either one of those. Right. It's so yeah. weird. They're very prejudiced against heroin in Costa Rica and Brazil. Oh, Isn't that yeah, weird? They got well, Coke and alcohol. Most for of sure. the countries, you end up they, rotting in jail. Yeah, they're weird about opiates. So most people are opiates. All right, till next time, ladies and gentlemen. We'll uh, hope hope a few less people die. And if you have a scene, a small scene in your town, wherever you are, no with music you. and everything, really nurture that thing because you're, it's the most valuable thing you have. You it's, know what I mean? If is. you have a small group of friends that are playing rad music and you're just like jumping around and you know, you're having a few or beers or whatever, and you're staying away you're from drugs and you're skateboarding and you're doing all that fun stuff and creating and, and being Spray paint on the wall. Chavo, you know, Chavo. Live life, man. Cause what? some trouble. But, you know, stay away from the, 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 the drugs that these pharmaceutical companies are putting out, man. I mean, this is dangerous it's shit. crazy, crazy, crazy. Just have some fun. Love you guys. Bye-bye. Hey, this is Bob, and you can get a hold of Aloe Treatment Centers at 888-595-0235. That's Aloe Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake. 888-595-0235. Tell them Bob told you to call.